Okay, little housekeeping real quick. Episode four was released, but somehow episode three, Martha Jean Lambert got released a second time. And so a lot of people didn't see the Sharon Bald Eagle case. They thought that I just re-released episode three back to back. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened exactly, but there is an episode four Sharon Bald Eagle story. It's just as important. So I hope that you do go back and listen to it. So now that that's out of the way, let's talk about today's case. On September 27, 1981, the Oklahoma State Fair was swarming with people. Not for the reasons you would think, though. Sure, people were there enjoying the festival, food, games, and rides, but there was a large number of people handing out flyers and a large police present asking questions. Just the day before, two friends were enjoying the fair, but they never made it home. Today, we are remembering two friends that went missing together. Cinda Pallet and Charlotte Kinsey. Cinda Pallet was born on May 13, 1968, and Charlotte Kinsey was born on September 10, 1968. Both girls attended Highland West Middle School and were both 13 years old at the time of our story. Cinda was described as happy and outgoing. She was 5 foot tall, 88 pounds, with brunette hair and brown eyes. She played shortstop for her softball team and was looking forward to basketball tryouts and had just gotten tickets to a Van Halen concert for the following week. She had plans and things to look forward to, which is one reason she wasn't believed to be a runaway. Charlotte was described as shy and loving. She was five foot tall, 100 pounds, with blonde hair and blue eyes. She enjoyed poetry and roller skating. The two girls were going to have a sleepover on the night of September 26, 1981, but first they were getting to spend the day at the state fair. This was a special trip for them because it was the first time that they were allowed to go without any adults. Those of us old enough to have experienced it know how wonderful it feels to get that little bit of freedom for the first time, to be somewhere without having an adult in your shadow. By all accounts, September 26th at the fair started out as a normal day. The girls were dropped off around noon by Cinda's brother. Around 5 or 5.30 in the afternoon, the girls called home excitedly, each calling their own mother individually, telling them that a man had offered them a job unloading stuffed animals for the fair. He said he was going to pay them each $10. That's equivalent to about $28.60 in today's money. There's different reports as to the amount of money, and some say $10 for the day, and some say $10 hourly. Either way, it is quite a bit for these teens back in the day. The girls were told this would be okay, but they were told to call back at 9 p.m. so that Cinda's mom, Norma, would know where to pick the girls up from for the sleepover. After the girls called home, they went with a man and two boys who, for the sake of this podcast, we're going to call Tim and Joey. Their names are out there, but I only found it on one source. Most of the time, they were just called the two boys. Being minors, we're going to keep their real names out of this. Tim and Joey later told police that they went with this man they believed to be called Joseph because that was the name that was on his belt. The name was stamped in the leather. Back in the day, a lot of men would have their names stamped into the leather on their belt, at least in the South. Usually it was the last name, but not always. My dad had belts like this. My brothers have had belts like this. My grandfathers have had belt like this. My point is, it was pretty common. So being that it said Joseph, they assumed this was the man's name. The boys said that they went with him to a nearby ballpark where the girls were waiting. He then led all four of them to his car outside the fair gates. So Cinda and Charlotte, along with this man, Joseph and Tim and Joey leave the fair to go meet a truck with these stuffed animals. Guys, girls, no matter how old you are, please never leave a public location with a stranger. It's much safer to stay in a public place. 
One source said that these boys were the girls' boyfriends. However, everything else says that this is not true. They had been offered a job separately by the man, and when they met the girls afterwards, that was the first time they had ever met them. They first went to this little store where the man bought some gloves. He told them the girls could wear them to unload the toys. This store was just over half a mile from the fairgrounds. A friend of the girls worked here and was actually there when the gloves were purchased. In my opinion, he probably stopped here first to help the kids feel safe. It wasn't at the fair, but it was close enough that they could still see the fair, so they were probably less likely to question why they were leaving the fair. Again, just my opinion. They then headed to a truck stop. Based on the information we have, it was about seven miles away. They drove together to this truck stop where they were supposed to meet this truck. The alleged carnival worker Joseph told the boys to go ahead and get out and wait on the truck since it wasn't there. He told them that it should be there within 10 minutes and to just wait. He said him and the girls were going to go to the next truck stop to see if maybe it was there by mistake. To be fair, if you go to this location now or you can Google it, you'll see there's several truck stops at this intersection. So if it was the same way in the 80s, this was very plausible to believe. Joseph then gave them $10 to wait and drove off with the girls. Cinda and Charlotte were never seen again. This was around 7 p.m., two hours before the girls were supposed to call home. After Joseph and the girls drove away, the boys had an uneasy and suspicious feeling. It just didn't feel right, so they called their parents right away. After their parents arrived, they waited for about an hour just in case the man and the girls returned. However, they never did, so after waiting this time, they left. We don't know what, if anything, was said between the teens in the car. There's no reporting about it. For all we know, the boys may have thought that they knew Joseph before they met him that day, especially since they were waiting for him and the boys outside the fair gates. They probably didn't really have any reason to think that the girls were in danger. Again, this was also the early 80s and there wasn't as much stranger danger out there. These boys were also just young teens. They may have just had this uneasy feeling because they had literally just been left pretty much on the side of the road. I'm saying this because I don't think the boys or their parents are at fault for not reporting it right away. Sources report different things. Some say they called the police right then. Others say they waited until the news broke about the girls. Then they came forward with the information they had. It's part of the case that just has some misinformation reported about it. Either way, they did come forward at some point with the information for the police, which we will go more into in just a minute. When the girls didn't call home at 9 p.m., their parents started to get worried. This just wasn't like them. Sources don't say when they were reported missing, but we can assume it was overnight because by the next day, police were already searching for the girls. They had set up a base at the fair and were talking to pretty much anyone and everyone, visitors of the fair, fair employees, or anyone working for the fair. The family also set up a 24-hour post at the fair. They printed hundreds of flyers. They were handing them out and plastering them all over everything. Like I said, after the news broke about the disappearance of Cinda and Charlotte, the boys told the police what they knew. They told them how a man who they thought was named Joseph offered them and the girls jobs unloading stuffed animals for the fair. They said he was about 40 to 50 years old, 6 foot 2, 200 to 250 pounds. He had a full dark beard and mustache with gray streaks. He wore a flimsy straw hat, a brown belt with the name Joseph on it, a brown striped or plaid cowboy shirt, cowboy boots, a yellow ID badge like people working at the fair had, and wired rim glasses. The car he drove was a two-door 1980 or 1981 Pontiac Grand Prix with half vinyl roof and South Dakota license plates. The boys did give a great description and if you see the sketch next to the prime suspect, your jaw will drop. It's dead on perfect. I'll try and put it in the show notes, but if not, I will put a picture on our website and on social media. This case became one of the most extensive police investigations in the history of the state of Oklahoma up till that point, of course. 
So after the investigation started, police turned their attention to a man named Donald Michael Corey, a 36-year-old who worked for the fair and was a drifter. His ID was found on the ground at the fair. No one knows exactly where it was found or when in the investigation. Tim and Joey said that they thought the photo on the ID was similar to the suspect, Joseph, that had offered them jobs. This is scary, y'all. I personally have had work IDs for jobs in the past. I have lost them more than once. They've either fallen off my clothes, the lanyard has broken, it's fallen out of my pocket, whatever. There are hundreds of people with IDs like this at the fair. So scary to think that they could be linked to a crime based on this. However, the police did know of Corey already and said that he had been in and out of Oklahoma for the past five or six years. Based on the ID badge and the boy's statements, police issued an arrest warrant for Corey and the search for him began. On Thursday, after Cinda and Charlotte were reported missing, the police got yet another devastating report. Two more girls were missing. For this podcast, we're going to call them Mindy and Michelle, both 16 years old, hadn't been seen since they left their home on Tuesday, heading to, you guessed it, the Oklahoma State Fair. The police found their car along the intersection with the keys in the ignition and the car was still in working order. Police didn't want to say that the two cases were related, but I'm sure they feared it. However, the next day on Friday, the girls called a family member or friend, letting them know that they were okay and that they had left on their own accord. They were actually very surprised to have learned that there was a police investigation on the matter. Police immediately changed their case from kidnapping to runaway. This was a relief for everyone. But time was lost on the matter and the police still had not found Cinda Charlotte or Corey. On October 9, 1981, Corey was located in Greenville, Alabama and extradited back to Oklahoma. Corey had actually walked into a police station on his own accord, but not for this warrant or anything. He needed a background check for either a job or something, whatever it was. He went in there willingly and when they ran his name, the warrant popped up. He had no clue there was a warrant out for his arrest. He had no clue what was happening in Oklahoma. He was totally unaware of the girls. They arrested him and sent him back to Oklahoma. On October 14th, Corey pleaded not guilty to two charges of kidnapping. When Tim and Joey, along with others from the fair, saw Corey in a lineup, they said he was not the man that offered them jobs. After spending 10 days in jail, Corey was released. He was actually in Dallas the day the girls went missing. There was no way he could have kidnapped them or done them any harm. He also drove a station wagon, not the vehicle that was used in the alleged kidnappings. Yes, the car that he had was searched and there was nothing found. In the article, Kidnapping Arrest Still Haunts Corey by Kim Scott of the Oklahoman paper, Corey said, quote, If I hadn't been able to prove I was in Dallas, where would I be? It's hard on a person to be in jail for something you didn't do, end quote. That's actually very scary. Apparently, Corey had also reported his ID missing to the fair officials and had been issued a new one. If the police had looked more into this, maybe they would have realized that it was literally just a missing badge and probably had no connection to the disappearances. Police spent weeks focusing on Corey and not really anyone else. They believed that was their person. Before they found the ID badges, they were looking into a couple of other people of interest. There's not much information listed about them. For years, the investigation went on with no luck. Year after year, the fair came to town and police and family would check it out just in case maybe the girls did run away with the fair, though deep down they knew that this wasn't the case. But it was some little bit of hope that they could cling to. In 1985, something changed. The arrest of another man with ties to Oklahoma caught the attention of the Oklahoma City Police. A man had pleaded guilty to kidnapping charges and was now serving two life sentences for it. Sound familiar? That's right, Royal Russell Long had ties to Oklahoma. If you don't know who Royal Russell Long is, we talked about him in episode four, the story of Sharon Bald Eagle. 
A quick summary is he picked up Sharon and a friend who were hitchhiking from South Dakota to Idaho, and Sharon was never seen again. Please go back and listen if you haven't or don't remember the story. It'll go more into detail about Sharon and Long's arrest. Long was actually a long-haul truck driver who, at one point in time, lived in Tuttle, Oklahoma, which is just under 30 miles from the fairgrounds. Police learned that he had made a haul to Oklahoma City the day before Cinda and Charlotte disappeared, and they could show that he was at the fair the day they went missing. Long himself actually confessed to being at the fair that day, but of course he said he had nothing to do with the disappearances and he never offered anyone a job. Tim and Joey, along with several other people, said that Long was the man that they either had seen with the girls on the day they went missing or was the man that had offered them jobs to unload stuffed animals. The alleged kidnapper evidently had approached several other teens, offering them jobs to unload stuffed animals. Many of these people testified at trial. I don't have all their names, I'm sorry. In August of 1985, police filed charges on Long for the alleged kidnapping and murder of Cinda and Charlotte. They had him extradited to Oklahoma for trial. No sources I found gave a specific date, but at some point in time from the time the girls went missing to Long's arrest, they did find the car from the kidnappings in El Paso, Texas. It was a rental car that Long had actually rented. It was full of evidence. I wish we had DNA technology back then that we have now. 13 scalp hairs were found in the trunk that were consistent with Cinda's. There was also some animal hairs that matched pets that she had at the time. The big thing was a luminol test lit up like a Christmas tree, revealing a large amount of blood that appeared to either be the outline of a large person or two smaller people. There was also a bloody boot print in the trunk. However, they could not 100% definitively say that it was or was not human blood. This was a fact that the defense went hard on during trial. They also searched Long's Wyoming home and other properties he was linked to, but they only found a lock of blonde hair that microscopically matched Charlotte. They could not 100% prove that it was Charlotte's hair. It could have also matched her sister's or mother's hair. Sadly, the girls were not found at any of these locations. At one point, Long was offered a plea deal, but he turned it down. During preliminary hearings, Tim and Joey testified was going to do more testifying during the trial. However, the judge tossed out statements because Tim was hypnotized in the first few days. So the judge said that his statements and testimony could have been influenced by being hypnotized. The prosecution was also not allowed to talk about the fact that Long was in jail for kidnapping. The defense went hard, like I said, on the forensics when it came to the blood and not being able to prove that it was human. The defense also pressed hard on the fact that the girls' bodies have never been found. They have been cited in other states. These sightings were looked into and all proven to be false or not the girls. Long's own daughter testified against him. He had assaulted her as she was growing up. She had even seen him try to lure young girls in to cars and his home. The judge tossed out a lot of stuff and wouldn't allow a lot of other things in. In December of 1985, he dismissed the case saying that there was lack of evidence. He said, quote, if Royal Russell Long is in fact guilty as charged in this crime, it would appear that law enforcement officials of the state of Oklahoma picked him before he was ripe, end quote. I read newspaper articles from the days right after the trial and even kind of during the trial, and people were mad. They were saying the exact same thing that I guarantee you and I are thinking, 
basically saying that this was all BS and the judge was one-sided. These were random people's opinions from letters to the editors in different newspapers from back then, not coming straight from me, just letting you know how the public felt. The DA still believes Long is the killer and that the girls were probably never taken outside of the state of Oklahoma. There are plenty of places to hide a body in the state. In an interview done just a couple of months ago in September of 2023 with KOCO News 5 in Oklahoma, former DA Ray Elliott said, quote, we had the right man, end quote. This is a case that has haunted him and he feels he failed the families. He also said that during the trial, Long would taunt Cinda and Charlotte's families, saying things like, only I know where their bodies are and I'm not talking. Long was sent back to Wyoming to carry out his sentences, but that wasn't the last that Oklahoma heard from Long. In 1986, this slimeball contacted the Oklahoma newspaper. Basically, he said he would tell them where the girls were for a price. There was a series of letters back and forth between Long and the newspaper. In the end, the newspaper said no, not because they didn't want to help find the girls, but because Long had been proven to be a master manipulator and they could not believe if he was telling the truth, he could have totally been pulling everyone along. As we know, we will never know because Long died in prison in 1993. That's it, everyone. That's all we have on the disappearance of Cinda and Charlotte. This is a case where I really don't think the victims are alive. I sadly feel that they were probably killed the day they went missing or shortly after. Again, just my opinion. Let me know in the comments what you think. This case is still open. If you have any information, please contact the Oklahoma City Police Department at 405-231-2121. That's all for today's case. If you don't already, please like, follow, or subscribe, depending on where you listen. Please leave a five-star review as it really does help the podcast grow. If you have a case you want covered, please send an email to beforeamberpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us across all social media at beforeamberpod. We will be back in two weeks to remember someone else. Until next time, thanks for listening. Later. All sources are linked in our show notes, but some of these sources include newspapers.com, KOCO News 5, the Oklahoman newspaper, the Daily Oklahoman, the Doe Network, and the charlieproject.org. Thanks again. Later.